Welcome everybody to an early, early surprise episode of Chelsea Miked Up. There's going to be a hell of a lot more where that came from and hopefully a hell of a lot more where Christian Pulisic came from. America, hell yeah. Amazing performance from Christian Pulisic. I'm not going to call him Captain America. I'm not going to call him Captain America. He told us he doesn't like being called Captain America. Captain America was amazing. And not only him. N'Golo Kante, we signed Timo Werner, we're going to be journalistically responsible, but also sing his praises. Frank Lampard had a big, confusing match on his hand. We'll break down his decisions that he made beforehand. Some of them right, some of them wrong. We'll be transparent and honest about it and hear from the manager himself. All that and more. We celebrate the table as Chelsea are marching their way up and we'll all laugh at poor David Luiz. All that and more. Let us go! Chris Whittingham, my neutral observer friend. You can't even keep with the neutral observer moniker for this episode because an American scored. That's right. Not only do we have a Chelsea match to break down, we're going to call it soccer because Christian Pulisic <laughs> saved our bacon. That's right. Christian Pulisic back on the pitch Fortune, I'm going to call it a field. Sue yes. me. We're all out American over. Christian Pulisic <laughs> came on that field, that soccer field, and tore it up for Frank Lampard. Let me tell you something right now. Captain America, even though he hates that nickname, but too bad you don't get to choose your nicknames. Captain America was amazing in that game. He was red hot. And that right, Chris Whittingham, a neutral observer friend. And let me tell you something. When that ball was flying in towards him and he kicked it in that net, it was absolutely incredible. Woo, doggy. Christian Pulisic, he is back, and so are Chelsea. In all seriousness, this game was <laughs> screaming for Christian Pulisic. And when I say that, I was literally screaming for Christian Pulisic. <laughs> the novelty, and God bless him, because I don't, this is not going to be, if you're looking for a podcast that picks on Ruben Loftus Cheek's performance, you've come to the wrong place. It's an achievement. To come back from that injury just outside of a year. It's monumental. The exciting thing is Ruben Loftus-Cheek started a match for Chelsea Football Club. We will get into his performance. Obviously, some rust there. And some curious decisions made by Frank Lampard a little bit later on. But let's just concentrate because we are the official Chelsea podcast and we are based out of the United States. Let us talk about our Beautiful soccer wonder, Christian Pulisic, <laughs> turning the game on its head as soon as he steps on the pitch. And I'm sorry, Ross Barkley, I'm sure you deserve a level of credit too, because you came on at the same time. But this is about Christian right now, because this game was so desperately missing the instinctual player that would find himself in the right place at the right time, and Christian Pulisic does that almost immediately, Chris Whittingham. And holds his position in a wide left area as well. And it's funny that you were saying that like, you were literally calling towards your television saying, I want Pulisic on. And for me, it felt like the first time where I wasn't just saying that because I was American and I wanted to see him play. It was because genuinely it felt like Chelsea needed what Christian Pulisic can provide. And I kind of got the idea, which is basically Marcus Alonso was playing really well before the coronavirus break. And so they basically left that entire left flank to him and to try and figure it out. But when you have Willian on one side and the whole game is congested in the middle, it needed something on the opposite end of it, like Christian Pulisic, to hold that wing and cause real problems 
for the right side of that defense. And straight away, Christian Pulisic comes on, and five minutes later, he's scoring a goal and making that back post run. And you see the movement of the players. Everyone is crashing in. Ross Barkley is making that last run on the back post. He's the last one who's marked. He's making the right run and scores the goal. And it's a fairly straightforward tap-in for him. So just that impact and that ability that he has was so needed in the game and that's really the first time I felt that as someone who's really wanted Christian Pulisic to succeed at Chelsea well let's relive that goal one more time courtesy of the fist sand app here is the sound of the goal that lit a nation on absolute fire as for the Quetta, delicious ball in there is the equalizing goal and Christian Pulisic only just off the bench makes the perfect impact for Chelsea on the hour they're bat level at 1-1 man I have chills listening to that man (laughs) Christian Pulisic I legitimately do look at the goosebumps okay so Christian Pulisic comes in immediately makes an impact by the way he admits in sound that we're going to play later on he didn't exactly strike that well that was off of his left foot and it was one of those like oh man how are we going to miss these opportunities but Christian Pulisic, to his credit, gets it in. Let's talk about Aspilicueta a little bit because he had a bit of an interesting game. Aspilicueta had a very strong cross that that was intended for Ruben Loftus-Cheek. And Ruben Loftus-Cheek, I don't know if he doesn't have his timing down or if he's out of position, doesn't get to it. And then Christian Pulisic does. For Christian Pulisic to come in after all this time off and for a nation begging to see him, for him to come out and immediately reward our confidence and maybe, maybe Frank Lampard's Lack of confidence? I don't know. This will be an interesting debate because it certainly blew up on my Twitter feed with a lot of Americans that aren't necessarily Chelsea fans that are waiting to see their hero. First, let's ask the manager talking about Christian Pulisic's appearance today. He was hungry. I know that. And I felt for him as I felt for the players of the long term injuries. Ruben's in the same position. But I know Christian was very hungry. He's trained well. Um, and the, the ability that he's got to arrive in the box is a big thing I've spoken about with him all season. The difference between being, you know, a very good player off the side, an attacking player, or the players at the real top level of the game that arrive and score in the six-yard box and hit big numbers yearly. And I think I really think Christian can do that. So I was really pleased with him, the impact he made when he came on. He will start games for us, of course. And I think he's going to be a big player for us, not just in this run-in, but obviously going forward. Frank Lampard, obviously complimentary of what Christian Pulisic did. Now, Chris, I- I'm going to throw this to you because... I'm emotional. I emotionally tweeted, that's why you start Christian Pulisic. It ain't hard. I'm confused by it because if you just see how many goals he is responsible for when he's fit, Chelsea are flatly better when Christian Pulisic is in this lineup. However, let's extend Frank Lampard the benefit of the doubt here, Chris Whittingham. There is three matches inside of a week. And Christian Pulisic, we've seen him start some games and go missing a little bit. And he's been effective as a sub. That's really what started his run, him coming on as a sub against Ajax, and then he went on this tear. What were your thoughts initially when the starting 11 came out and Christian Pulisic was not in the starting line? Yeah, I was a bit conflicted as well because I'm thinking about, you mentioned the fact that Christian Pulisic hasn't played since January 1st, and thinking, well, maybe he's trying to ease the player back and not have him re-aggravate his injury. But then on the same team sheet, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who hasn't played for 14 months, gets the start. And so you're thinking, all right, so maybe he's taking a risk in one area and not in another. I think, in general, what we've seen from Frank Lampard this year is he's going to figure out a way to get Mason Mount into this team. And so he wanted to have Conte, Kovacic, and Ruben Loftus-Cheek be that midfield and then figure out a way to get Mason Mount on the field. And so I think Christian Pulisic's place was taken, in theory, by Mason Mount. So this is what he wanted, and I think you saw... 
again, the moments where I didn't expect Aston Villa to be as defensive as they were. Like, they are not your typical Newcastle or really defensive teams that sit and absorb that kind of pressure, 75% of the ball at home. I know that there's no fans, but you just don't see Aston Villa do that. And yet they were in a bunker the entire game. And I think pretty quickly you saw that that middle of the field was going to be really congested and Mason Mount was going to be able to be his absolute best. He still had his moments and he was still solid, but I think... Frank Lampard was looking for Mason Mount to continue to be the leader that I think he has anointed him as. And so we'll see. Christian Pulisic earned his spot in the Chelsea lineup after you mentioned that Champions League appearance against Ajax, the hat-trick against Burnley, by forcing his way in, by scoring goals, by providing assists, by creating chances, and basically making it impossible for the manager to bench him. And I think he's going to have to do that a second time here coming out of this break. Well, Frank Lampard obviously values what players do on the training ground, more so than the average manager. This has been a pretty consistent message from Frank Lampard, and he credited Christian Pulisic, oddly enough, with how well he's and how hard he's been working on the training ground. And I think that this is becoming, what I'm seeing on Twitter, a bit of like a, a team mount, team Pulisic type of deal. I Obviously, Mason Mount, a bit of a favorite of Frank Lampard's, not just because he's an English national, but because of his time, he's a youth academy product, and he played for Frank Lampard at Derby County. You can understand why Frank trusts him. Whether or not Mason Mount is good enough to be that free-roaming number eight that Frank Lampard trusts him so much, that could be debated. I think Mason Mount has struggled with his finishing, but I also love Mason Mount's effort. He plays a lot faster than he actually is. The dude is guts and guile. He's a true blue. He needs to work on the finishing. However, against Aston Villa, Chris, Mason Mount was an absolute terror. I want to get into Mason Mount and Ruben Loftus-Cheek specifically in a little bit, but let's toss a sound right here. We teased it a little bit. Here's Christian Pulisic himself, and this gets me excited because in our conversations with Christian Pulisic, both on this podcast and in the web series that I do, Ask Pulisic, that you can check out on the Fist Sand app and Chelsea's official website, Christian Pulisic, and oh, Chris, did you see his face after he scored? Yeah. Like, intense. Like, let's go. That is not the Christian Pulisic that I interview on Ask Pulisic. You know, <laughs> he, he he's just a, a soft-spoken dude, but on the field, he lets it fly. He actually gives a voice of what he's maintained every time we speak to him. This is an exciting time for Chelsea now, yes. But I'm super excited about the future because we're going to talk about the confirmed big signing that Chelsea made in a little bit. He gives voice to that. Here is Christian Pulisic himself. Yeah, I don't think I actually hit it perfect with my left. Luckily, I got enough on it just to steer it on target, so I'm happy when it. Tired now? Because you missed a lot of football, didn't you? Not just lockdown, <laughs> but before that, I think your last game was New Year's Day. Yeah, I've definitely been out for for a while. Uh, it felt really nice to, to be back out here, um, especially for me after the injury. And uh, yeah, obviously, all the guys have been off, but we've been uh, trying to stay fit as best we can. And uh, yeah, now we got to get back into the rhythm of things. Not just with the way you're playing, but obviously we saw Timo Werner sign of the week. Does it really feel like something special is starting to build at Chelsea? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, we already have a very strong team and obviously very good players. And uh, yeah, just to add guys like that is, uh, is incredible. So uh, we're obviously focused on this season for now, but uh, we also are very excited for what's to come. Christian Pulisic, courtesy of the Fist Stand App, talking about the Timo Werner. And look, Timo Werner is a guy that plays his position occasionally. Yes, he's going to be battling with Tammy Abraham, but he's a versatile player. And Christian Pulisic, once again, giving voice to, I know what I'm in for. I'm here to battle for playing time and do things like I just did. Earn my time. I was really excited to see Christian Pulisic rise to the occasion because God knows Chelsea desperately needed him. Because... 
you said you were surprised. And I remember this conversation that we had at the end of last week's Chelsea mic'd up where I said it's obvious what Aston Villa are going to do. And you tried to correct me saying, no, they're, they're not one of these teams that sit back as much. But this is Chelsea Football Club. It is obvious how you play them. Chelsea, my God, you got to figure this out. I don't know what if it's a crossing. I don't know if it's because we don't have players in the right position, but I think we have enough talent. The answers are on this roster when everybody's healthy, Chris Weddingham, and yet we run into this problem again and again on this set piece. Uh, Chris, did you see the video of the set uh, of the goal that we conceded? Yeah. Number one, credit to Keppa for making the first stop. Could he have pushed it away? I guess, but that was point blank range. You can't really ask much more of Keppa in that situation. You can't ask more of the defenders. Why yep. is nobody back there? Why is everybody on Aston Villa behind Chelsea's back line? This isn't a counterattack. This is off a set piece. Again, Chris, they can't fix these set piece problems. Yeah, and it's very obviously a switching off after the first action, right? So they lose the first header. And look, I understand this is among the hardest thing to do, not just in this sport, but in any sport. But when secondary and tertiary waves of action happen, are you mentally in it to be ready for a loose ball in basketball or what happens in this case, which is that the first header is won by the Aston Villa player and basically all four defenders just stop. They're not continuing to follow their marks and try and be there to at least get in the way of a rebound. They all just stop, and all of a sudden you take a freeze frame, and it's Keppa making a save. It's clearly going to be pushed out to one of these four players, and there's no Chelsea player on the either side of them. There is going to be that rebound. There's going to be that second chance. It seemed like everyone just kind of, well, I guess it's going to happen. And yet again, the ball to bounce right to an SM Villa a player without seemingly a Chelsea defender anywhere near him, and he puts in that, that juicy rebound, it's very frustrating. And I know we're all going crazy with the wingers that we're signing and bringing in at Chelsea, and obviously these are world-class talents. They elevate everybody. I like Mason Mount as a free-flowing number eight if he's surrounded by the likes of Ziyech and Werner a hell of a lot more. But we cannot ignore the problems, specifically from set-pieces, troubling this back line. I thought Christensen, look, everybody on that back line, except for maybe Alonzo, who's, you know, not his strongest performance. He's pretty poor all game long. Defensively, he was probably better than than normal just because we didn't realize, hey, oh no, Marcus Alonso, shambolic defending. I mean, Alonzo, what he brings you is attacking, and that certainly wasn't there for him today. But Christensen, I thought Christensen actually had a relatively strong first half in terms of his distribution. Credit to him for how far he's come along. And honestly, credit to Maurizio Sarri because I did not trust Christensen at all with the ball at his feet before Sarri came in. Sarri obviously makes that more important, a priority amongst his center backs. The likes of David Luiz have a resurgence under Sarri. Christensen all of a sudden becomes a player that you can trust, or at least you felt like it. Because in that second half, woof. Yeah. I thought uh, there were a couple of moments with both Rudiger and Christensen where their distribution wasn't great. But this, for me, the way that the game plays out looks like how a lot of Manchester City games play out, where they keep so much of the ball and the one chance they give up is way too good for the opposition. It's almost like they spend so much of the time thinking about how they're going to break the opposition down. Then we get into a defensive moment. It's like, well, wait, what? This isn't supposed to happen. And that's how that first half played out. The possession figures the entire game were insane. You're in the second half. It's 75-25. I mean, Pep Guardiola's teams don't do that most of the time. That That's an incredible figure. And 
with Aston Villa creating next to nothing, because basically they fouled Jack Grealish out of the game, and Aston Villa could really not create much, the one opportunity they get from a set piece, and then in the second half, there was another free header that an Aston Villa player won that came dangerously close to winning the, or to, to, to getting them a second goal. So it's that, yes, defenders are needed, but it's also the mentality of, yes, maybe we're dominating the game with the ball, but... When defensive moments happen, we still need to be ready for them. And it just seems like at times when Chelsea are bossing the game is when they're most likely to concede a goal. You mentioned Jack Grealish. I think he drew something like nine fouls, which is yeah. the most fouls drawn in Premier League in the Premier League since 2017. Obviously, yeah. it was a bit of the game plan, you would think. I think that last one, you and I sort of went back and forth on a credit to Angolo Conte, and we'll get into his performance, which I thought was absolutely yeah. sterling. I thought that was a good foul. I didn't think it was a yellow because I thought Grealish has a bit of that uh, Neymar DNA in him and not the good all-world type. He's a bit of a diver, yeah. Chris. No, no, for sure. No, he, he definitely makes a meal of it, but it was also, like you said, he's been kicked all game. Conte's been among the players who was doing it. I don't think that foul necessarily of its own merit would get yellow. That's an accumulation yellow for sure. Like I think the referee had reached a point where he's like, all right, I have to give yellow for one of these tackles. Yeah, and, and that was a good counterattacking opportunity, and I, I was sort of fist-pumping under the table. <laughs> yes, good, good, good foul, good foul. You, you love a good yellow. You love, love a good it. yellow. Well, you mentioned Man City and how they boss these games and have that yeah. possession. They're What Man City does better than anybody under Pep Guardiola is the well-timed foul to stop yes. the counter because they'll leave themselves open to it. And I trust their defenders, even though they're not great either. I trust their back line a little bit more than I trust Chelsea's just because I haven't seen this back line together enough. Let's talk about the big shocking decision with this starting 11. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, obviously. Everybody's super excited to see him. If you were disappointed in not seeing Christian Pulisic in the starting 11, like maybe a lot of us had anticipated, that quickly subsided because of your excitement for one Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Great guy, great player. The surprising decision is that he's starting at left wing Chris Whittingham. Mason Mount playing that number eight role. Ruben Loftus-Cheek starting at left wing? He's a better left wing option than Christian Pulisic? I think if you ask Frank Lampard what was the shape, I don't know if you would describe Loftus-Cheek as a left winger. It was just as the left of the three in midfield, he was very often the furthest left of any attacking player because Mason Mount, who would in theory start from that left position, was all over. Like He would occasionally pop up next to Willian. It's like, wait, I thought he was supposed to be playing on the left. And I think it's meant it's meant to free up Marcus Alonso to be involved in the game a lot more from an attacking sense. You have you know maybe Espelicueta staying a bit further back to help cover. You're keeping so much of the ball that you can afford to commit that number forward. But it's meant to give Marcus Alonso freedom. And yet, how many times did the ball go to that left-hand side? And it just wasn't happening. Like, there were, you know, opportunities for Loftus-Cheek to get to the byline. He's not really going to, you know, get there for pace ahead of your average right back. Like, there's just too many moments where it felt like it was fizzling out. Now, to be fair to Frank Lampard, Ruben Loftus-Cheek did play that position on occasion for Crystal Palace when he was there alone. Yeah, yeah like he's, he he's played, played quite there. well at that position mm-hmm. for, for Palace. However, he would go missing a lot because he didn't have a lot of talent. That was not the problem in this mm-hmm. first half. He was getting plenty of opportunities at that position. At Palace, he just didn't have anybody good enough. It was a two-man show over there. This one, Chelsea were absolutely dominating this first half, and oftentimes attacks would die at the feet of either Marcus Alonso or Ruben Loftus-Cheek. And while you, you make a great point, defensively he was certainly in the mid, but in attacking, yeah. oftentimes there were crosses waiting, begging for Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I thought Espelicueta had a tremendous cross. It bounced off of Ruben Loftus-Cheek's head. It went wide of the net. 
understandable. That's going to happen. That's going to happen to players that are in midseason form. But Ruben Loftus-Cheek not being there for the other cross, just not getting his positioning down. He looks slow. I had a friend watching the game who texted a group chat that we were in saying, wow, Mason Mount is playing at a totally different speed than everybody else. I'm like, no, not really. Mason, God bless him, he tries hard. He makes it look like he's a lot faster than he is. But Giroud and Ruben Loftus-Cheek, these aren't exactly track stars in your attacking final third. Mm -hmm. Right, and and nor is Alonso, nor is Aspilicueta. Like, they're not, it's just not a very pacey team when they're out on the field. I think that's something that Frank Lampard wants out of his players, both with the ball and just natural pace. And I think that at times is one of the reasons why they struggle to break teams down. First of all, I don't think there's just that natural goal threat and a lot of the players out on the pitch, I think like Giroud is a player that combines. Mount is a player that combines. Like just, can you create a moment? Willian is the most likely of them, but we know that it's not every match. It's not It's not week in, week out with Willian creating goal threat. That's why Pulisic it's a, for it's me- It's about once every jersey number for, for <laughs> Willian. Like that, yeah. he's a number 10, like once every every 10 games. And that's- Thankfully, it's usually against Tottenham. God bless William. But <laughs> at his age right now, this isn't 2015 William. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be able to carry your team. And William, I mean, in his day, fast, but he's lost some speed. You need that dynamism a little bit. And Christian Pulisic provided that. Yes. It was so great to see. It was so desperately needed. It was obvious to the eye. And it's almost like... I thought that Frank Lampard did a good job in anticipating the type of game that he was going to get because Giroud is actually, I know a lot of people were frustrated, bring on Tammy, bring on Tammy. But Giroud is actually the better striker option if you're going to have 75% possession because you're going to have a park the bus situation and Tammy's proven struggle against uh, that type of situation this year. And Giroud, hell, give him credit. He got the match-winning goal, Chris. Arsenal, when he was there, would always come up against similar tight defenses. And he's always got a flick. Like, there's nothing that Olivier Giroud loves more than a flick. And that's exactly the kind of player you want to have when you're pinned against a bunch of defenders. He loves that flick, and I love watching it. But I would love to have talked to him after the game to talk to him specifically about something that happened, I think, after minute 85, where he does the flick and absolutely serves up a beauty right in front of the keeper on a platter for Aston Villa center back. <laughs> I guess right, he's, he's like, he's did, like you, you uh, forget, did you forget which box you were in or something yeah, like that? Yeah. If Timo Werner is there, if Timo Werner is there, he's cutting in right behind and that's a beautiful goal, my friend. But yeah. <laughs> I guess not with this, this group. I do want to shout out on that goal, that first touch beautiful like and that's the the ball from Espiliqueta as well like when we're talking about playing against packed defenses those are the moments of quality that you need and like you said Espiliqueta was a thing right like he provided two assists in the match and in general I thought he was the best cross of the ball he's the best provider of service for me which is generally not the skill he's most associated with so those are the kinds of moments of quality that you need and Espiliqueta provided two of them the Ruben Loftus-Cheek conversation is certainly one that's going to go on for a few days it was good to see him I'm not going to get on him too hard I don't think he was put in the best position and obviously we have the result in hand now Christian Pulisic should have been out there from the get-go but let's hear from the manager Frank Lampard defending his choice of Ruben Loftus-Cheek in that starting 11. I'm delighted for Ruben to be back in the fold and he's 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 got in the team on his own merit in the way that he's worked for a long time now but in the in the last three four weeks since he's been back training he's looked good he's looked strong we have to give him a little bit of time to adapt but I felt it was a good game for him to bring his physicality and something different and again the flip of having Christian to bring on was great for me so I'm, I'm delighted for Ruben he's going to get much better it's a long time since he's played but he has so much to give us as a team and as a squad 
uh, glimpses of it today. There's much more to come. Ruben Loftus-Cheek starts because he does well on the training ground, and Frank Lampard is sort of balancing in his mind who's a better option for me to start and who could impact the game most with the subs. Having five subs now, obviously Frank Lampard is putting extra stock in that because we saw Christian Pulisic come on pretty early. What was it, like minute 55? And obviously affects it immediately. So interesting. But in this starting 11, this is my key takeaway. It's not the sexy Ruben Loftus-Cheek conversation that everybody's having. N'Golo Conte absolutely bossed this game. Yeah. My man of the match, easy, Chris. Easy. One of the things that I'm cu- I was curious to watch, I was kind of, that first half, I was mostly watching him. Because, so obviously N'Golo Conte is far better defensively reading the game and being in the right position. He was winning interception. I think a large part of that big possession figure for Chelsea was him always there to snuff out like a half counterattack. Not a full counterattack, but like before it could even get started, Conte was in position so many times. But I also wanted to see, is he going to run to a center back and pick up the ball like Jorginho does and get it moving forward? Is he going to play that long diagonal to right back towards Espiliqueta? And he played one that was gorgeous. Gorgeous. Like, Like he has far more in his locker from a distribution standpoint than I think he's given credit for. His long ball is accurate. He plays a good diagonal into stride. His first touch has been good. His short passing was good. Everything that you want out of a holding midfielder from a distribution standpoint, he gave you. And then he's the best holding mid in the world from a defensive standpoint. Maybe you can argue Casemiro if you want, but for me, he's the best in the world. And so to marry that with the technical ability of a Jorginho is exactly what you want in that position. And I think now you have to say, he's got to start there. Like that's You want to see him continue to play in the base of that midfield. Obviously, Jorginho will play because there's going to be rotation, but N'Golo Conte proved in this match that he can do that job and do it very well. We've been screaming this. We were all very frustrated, especially towards the middle part of the season where the Premier League sort of figured Jorginho out. And he even admitted to us in his interview with us that he struggled to figure them out once he got figured out, right? Once he started getting marked out of the game, it was a real struggle for Jorginho a little bit. And Conte kept developing. This game, even though you you mentioned a couple of real highlight passes in which he picked out Aspilicueta, that that pass absolutely stood out for me. But this was the return of the N'Golo Conte all-world defensive midfielder. This was fun as hell watching him cover that much ground, looking fully fit. I, I still don't think we've played our best starting 11, but I'm starting to think, as you just said, our best starting 11 has N'Golo Conte at that defensive midfield position. Now, there were parts in this game that were absolutely screaming for Jorginho's skill set, but I think N'Golo Conte showed you as that game progressed, he could do it. Jorginho's a player that has reported interest back over in Italy, and with the emergence of Billy Gilmore, who knows, but a lot of people had been writing N'Golo Conte off because he hadn't been fully fit this year, sending him to different teams in France and Spain. I think N'Golo Conte showed you, when healthy, he is as valuable a player on this team as anybody. Real quick emotional reactions after this game. I want to see N'Golo Conte starting at the very same position against Manchester City. And Christian Pulisic needs to be out there in the starting 11 against Man City. So it'll be very interesting to see. Obviously, Man City, Chelsea have been the the funny type of team that would rather play the likes of Liverpool and Man City anyways because it goes along better with their style. So I anticipate another fun game on Thursday. Talk about that a little bit later. But... We need to celebrate. The signing is official. It was made official in vintage Chelsea mic'd up fashion moments after we published last (laughs) week's episode. We will celebrate. Yes, Timo Werner is a blue. We will sing all about it. 
tell you all the latest news in regards and also be journalistically sound. We have to couch <laughs> it one la last time. We'll talk about the table and we'll laugh at David Louise. I promise you this. All that and more coming up next. Watch every minute of every match. Download the Fifth Stand, the official Chelsea app. Me, me, me. Give me a, give me a, give me a D note. Me? Give me I, I, yeah, give I, me a D note. I, I don't, I don't even know. Just ha, just ha, ha. Na, 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 na. Timo is a blue. Is, is a blue. Timo is a blue. Na, 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 na. Timo is a blue. Is a blue. Is a, is a blue. Shout out to George Benson for trying to make that a viral phenomenon. Timo Werner confirmed. Obviously, we, we did a whole Timo Werner episode where we talked about his, his bona fides over in the Bundesliga, but this is incredible, an incredible get for Chelsea. Now, here is the journalistically responsible part. As the official Chelsea podcast, we should tell you, even though you've seen the announcements from Leipzig and Chelsea, all of this is contingent upon a past medical. Timo Werner has a sterling medical history. This should be fine. So Timo Werner is a blue. Timo is a blue. Christian Pulisic mentioned it in his post-game press conference. Frank Lampard, super complimentary. How can he not be? He's, he's super excited to get a player like this, who I think is the best attacking signing entering the Premier League in years. Timo Werner, once again, provides loads of options, which now seems to be the hallmark of a Frank Lampard team, Chris. To me, he's going to play as a center forward. Like that's You have to put him there because a player of this quality that you're paying this much for, this was the position that he's second in the Bundesliga behind Robert Lewandowski in terms of scoring goals. You have to put him in, the, in that position. And yes, he's going to drift wide sometimes and, and give Chelsea a different look, but for the most part, he's got to play as the center forward. And that, to me, causes very interesting questions with Tammy Abraham. You've talked about potential two-striker systems, but I was watching the first 60 minutes of the Aston Villa match thinking, what would this look like if Timo Werner and Hakim Ziyech were in the team instead of the players that were on the pitch? And it allows you to think, all right, can Hakim Ziyech break a team down? Because you know Ajax is going against locked-in defenses. You know Timo Werner can summon incredible curling goals into the top corner, moments of quality that you're desperately trying to see from these Chelsea players. He scores great goals. Yes, he scores a tap-in. Yes, he makes runs sort of in open play and in counterattacks, but he has gotten better in scoring goals from static situations. So... Having those two players of quality entering this Chelsea side makes it... And then you wonder, well, what's next? What more can they do in the transfer market? Obviously, we've talked about the Havertz rumors before, but I allowed myself to think, what would it look like today if you just swapped out two attacking players, whether it's Willian or Mount or uh, Giroud or Abraham or whomever, and replace them with Werner and with Hakim Ziyech? I just think that it's going to look a lot different next year. I got to level with you. Watching this Aston Villa match as I did and seeing it unfold the way that it was... I felt the very same way mm -hmm. because ultimately, as good as Chelsea were playing in that first half before they ultimately conceded, which was not at all a surprise, they were playing with Olivier Giroud, Willian, and Ruben Loftus-Cheek, a 32-year-old striker who has gone months without playing at this club, a 31-year-old winger who's been great for Chelsea during his time there, but he's around the end of his run, certainly on the, a downward trajectory when you talk about Williams' career. And Ruben Loftus-Cheek hasn't played in over a year, a competitive match for Chelsea's first team. These aren't great options, right? 
These aren't like title contending options. And that's not an insult to any of those players. It's just a reality of their ages and their fitness levels. You make it Ziyech and Werner, man. Yeah. Man, that can make all the difference in the world. You saw the difference that Christian Pulisic made. I mean, this is obvious. You're just looking for those moments, and that's what having top-quality players provides. That's why Raheem Sterling and David Silva do it for City, Mo Salah and Sadio Mane, Roberto Firmino do it for Liverpool. Like, you have to have those players in attacking areas that's like, all right, if you, maybe your team plan is not going well, but you have an individual that can carry you. And I think Timo Werner is right now the favorite of attacking players at Chelsea to do that. The other interesting thing to me, you mentioned pending a medical, right? And that's obviously one of the things that's delayed it. But the... Phrase before that in the statement that was on the Chelsea website was interesting to me. He will link up with his new teammates in July because there is a thought that because Rebel Leipzig are in the Champions League quarterfinals that he would stick with them all the way through that. He's going to join early and he's going to have six weeks with Chelsea to bet in during a preseason towards next year and really get ready and, and be ready to go from day one. So I think that's another important part. Yes, I understand as a, as a player, as a competitor, it must be hard for him to not play in a Champions League quarterfinal on a club that you came up with, but he clearly is valuing this Chelsea experience to such a degree that he's foregoing that to join them early. You know what I found out recently about Red Bull Leipzig? Is that their name is not Red Bull Leipzig. Yeah. We're going to have to explain this to the audience because I was like, the RB obviously stands for Red Bull. No, it doesn't. It's, yeah. it, it, it stands for it. Now, Rosin Ball Sport. Which is like grass sport? I, I thought I thought you'd go Bundes like full Bundesliga pronounce it. That's Rationball Sport. <laughs> okay, there you go, Chris Whittingham. <laughs> I'm gonna let you dunk on me in this one. But they're RB Leipzig because they just want everyone to assume the obvious. I mean, look at their right. press. They, so basically what happens is so in Germany you cannot name a team after a company. Like there are rules that prohibit that. So they basically came up with what is the sport or what is the word in German that refers to football that when condensed can become RB, right? And they'll, and they'll put Red Bull on the front of the jersey. They'll put Red Bull all over the stadium. Everyone knows that it's... Like, I call them Red Bull Leipzig because that's what they are, really. Like, they can call themselves Rosenball Sport or whatever, but we all know that they're Red Bull Leipzig. Well, they're Rosenball Sport on the books, Chris Whittingham. <laughs> and their books are looking a little bit better because Chelsea paid that full transfer fee. Let us talk about why this weekend was so great if you were a Chelsea fan. Not just because Christian Pulisic scored. Not just because they got three points, Chris Whittingham. But they're the only team that got three points. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's be honest. And Man City, we'll see what happens. Obviously, a time of recording. We don't know the result because it's impossible to, to give you this podcast on time and watch and react to the Burnley-Man City match. That's just not going to happen. Yeah. We'll have a big blowout in our next episode. Good news. You're getting two episodes of Chelsea mic'd up this week. This one's a reaction episode, and we're going to give you a preview plus a great interview with Millie Bright defensive anchor on the women's super league champion team that you're going to absolutely love to hear speaking of man city i guess a nice little tie in there is chelsea yeah. and man city we're battling it out but let's look at this league table now because chelsea began the weekend in, in an absolute tough battle to hang on to fourth with man united and tottenham playing a huge match nipping at their heels the likes of Sheffield United having two matches in one week, making up some ground possibly. Wolves being a good team. And we'll talk a little bit about Wolves now. But Chelsea end the weekend closer to third place than fifth. A massive 
successful weekend for Chelsea Football Club. And that's why when Chelsea went 1-0 down, you're thinking, are they going to spoil this opportunity to create some distance? Because like you said, Leicester dropping points away at Watford, even though they got a 90th minute goal, it was a response from Craig Dawson that allows them to drop points at Watford. So now Chelsea within three points of them. Then you mentioned Manchester United and Tottenham, late penalty converted by Bruno Fernandes. It was nearly a second that actually would have, you know, it, it would have totally changed the, the, the dynamic of this race. But because that second penalty was overturned by VAR, it ended up being a 1-1 between Manchester United and Tottenham. Sheffield United had a terrible week, like, and you feel bad because of that goal line technology mistake that probably cost them three points, but it ends up being one point from six games against two teams that were, you know, kind of in and around that relegation area. So Sheffield's campaign might just about be done. You're right, Wolves is the only one that got that got a result this weekend. 1-2-0 at West Ham. Their next match is home against Bournemouth. So right now, they look like the most formidable competitors. And we didn't even mention, because they're so far out of the picture, Arsenal lost twice, once at Man City. There is the David Luiz disaster hat trick and an away defeat at Brighton on 95 minutes. The striker who hurt their goalkeeper scores the winning goal and plays the role of supervillain. It was just the most Arsenal four days. It was amazing. If you haven't watched Arsenal fan TV highlights <laughs> on your timeline incredible weekend for people like me that just absolutely despise Arsenal but I do kind of feel bad laughing at David Luiz because my very first experience with Chelsea was at the final whistle on hate and I was blown away by what a leader David Luiz was on that team taking literally taking younger players like Ruben Loftus-Cheek under his wing David Luiz is a class individual. I understand Chelsea fans not being able to look past the fact that he left for Arsenal. David Luiz seems to be a stand-up guy, and he's had really good moments for Chelsea Football Club. Is that enough qualifiers, Chris Winningham, so we can actually (laughs) laugh at this guy now? Because, Jesus, man. (laughs) Woof, what a disaster. Yeah. You couldn't have played that worse. What is he do what is he doing? Like, okay. On on which one? (laughs) The the Mares PK. Like, Mares did well in that situation, got in behind David Luiz. Those things are going to happen in football. But the first goal, the first goal in which he absolutely serves one up to Sterling, I don't understand what he, I don't understand what he was doing. The ball, like, bounces up on him, and he just doesn't fling a limb towards it. It's just If that I'm happens gonna, in FIFA, I, you're turning the game off. Right, yeah, it just bounces off me and right into the path of Raheem Sterling, who whacks it in for the first goal. But I think, and, and I generally agree with your sentiments about David Luiz. Good guy. I think he's a good player. Like, I, I'm, I'm just on the evidence of this one performance. I don't think he's a bad player. But he is, I think sometimes miscast as a center back. Like, I think he's more of a holding midfielder than he is a center back. Doesn't always think defense first. You think he's thinking distribution first. And his one out of 10 is a one out of 10. Like, his disasters... Like, we, I remember what, there was the game at Wembley against Tottenham, right? When he let uh, oh. Son fly past him. And you remember that it was that was the moment that encapsulated that whole game. was just a disaster from start to That's finish. That's one of the worst games I've ever seen. That was around Thanksgiving. I remember yeah. I saw that with the Tampa Bay Supporters Club, and I will <laughs> remember that game forever. Just terrible. I think he gives you a lot of 7 out of 10 performance. I think he's generally a solid player, but when he has a bad one, it is a disaster. And 27 minutes... Two goals basically given up, one normal and one a penalty, and a red card on a substitute appearance that left Arsenal down to 10 men and basically ended their game is as bad as it gets. I'm genuinely curious if we see him feature for Arsenal again, considering how that went. Is that enough laughing at Arsenal? Let's really (laughs) dig into this table because Chelsea have an opportunity. Now, they play Leicester on Sunday, but this is in the FA Cup, but they can send 
a message to Lesser because Lesser is feeling it right now. We all saw that game, an exciting game in which Craig Dawson, who I looked it up, is four years younger than me. <laughs> I cannot believe this. Craig Dawson gets an equalizer that makes this weekend uh, prior to the Chelsea result uh, on Sunday spectacular already because Lesser are now absolutely within reaching distance and Chelsea are actually closer to them than they are to fifth place. Ben Chilwell, though, this mm. to me is a main conversation point. As Chelsea fans, Ben Chilwell has been a major topic of conversation. Ben Chilwell was bad for most of that game in my mind. And yeah. then one of the goals of the year. What am I supposed to do with this, Chris Whittingham? Yeah, it's it's one of those things, too, where you hear in the aftermath of it, well, that's going to raise his transfer fee a few million pounds. And it's like, well, do you just watch the one moment where he scored the goal? Like, he's not a striker, right? You can understand if a striker has a terrible game and then scores a worldly, you can say, all right, well, that's at least a replicable skill set that's relevant to his position. But he was going against Ismaili Asar, the, the winger for Watford, and the whole game was getting beaten for pace. Like, again and again and again and again defensively was not holding on to his position very well from an attacking standpoint he gave the ball away a few a few times his crossing wasn't spectacular but he scores this worldie and all of a sudden his name is in the headlines and it's well Chelsea are in for this guy who scored this world-class goal that nearly won them a game and I agree with you I think you think of more the balance of the performance especially given his position he's a left back he's not a striker so you think of the balance of, of the performance rather than just the one goal although the one goal was I, I heard Ben Foster today on TalkSport and he it's like from the moment he struck it, I knew I had no chance. And yeah. and it's incredible to see goals like that. It's special. And I've seen that kind of Ben Chilwell performance a handful of times this year where you're putting your hand on your forehead, wondering aloud how this guy could be considered one of the best left backs in the world. You just don't see it. And then he'll get an absolute worldie and you realize, well, maybe the position has just changed. And yeah. because not many players can do that, I actually thought he reminded me a lot of Marcus Alonso. And Marcus Alonso is getting older, Chris Whittingham. Mm -hmm. So maybe this is a logical uh, replacement for Marcus Alonso. It's just I have a hard time coming to grips with that price that's yeah. attached to him. Well, that's the thing, right? Is that you'd get it like if he had Alfonso Davies level pace, I, I feel like I mentioned Alfonso Davies, like your drinking that, game is Erling Holland. I think mine is Alfonso Davies. I seem to reference him a lot, but that world-class speed can make up for a lot. And I think you saw when Ben Chilwell doesn't have the speed to match up with Ismail Yassar, never mind the pacey wingers you're going to come against in the Premier League week in, week out. It's hard to justify his other his sometimes defensive frailties. Now, let's also give him some benefit of the doubt. He's only 23 years old, and so this would be a sign that you'd think this player will be entering his prime during his Chelsea years. So at least that that element of it is positive. But I still think that, as you said, the price tag is what scares you because you know Leicester are going to command a high figure and. If you're going to spend this much money on a player at this position, it's not really a massive impact position in terms of contributing in the goals. Yes, you want to have a solid left back, but it's not the most important thing in building out a starting 11, especially a starting 11. That's not perfect to spend this amount of money when you've already put together some two pretty expensive signings in Ziyech and in Werner after Pulisic in the, in the last window. You want to make sure you get this absolutely spot on. And so if Frank Lampard really wants to do it, I think you have to trust the manager and say, this is a signing he wants to make. And he's wanted to make it since he joined the club. But I think there are some real reservations that were kind of recodified by that game. I want to try a new segment out on you for the very first time and our audience. I'm calling this segment Lukewarm Hot Takes. And I, and I just... I like it. We, we beta test them here. And I never go full on hot take because I'm just not good at that. 
Um, <laughs> there are people on Chelsea Twitter that are a lot better at it, and I'm sure you follow them. This is just me being transparent. I don't know how to do this in the hot, ticky, gas baggy voice. So here we go. Lukewarm hot takes. <clears throat> Sheffield United are done. Ooh, I like it. I like this take because I agree with it. I mean, if you're going to get into the Champions League race, you have to beat Aston Villa away, and you have to beat Newcastle, or at least get four points from those two games. You get one, and the fixtures are not getting any easier. Like, they've got a chance to get right back into it, to be fair, because they play Manchester United midweek. If they win away at Manchester United, they're right back in the race. But a club like this who had this opposition, like, for example, we've talked a lot about Wolves. Their fixture list, they've got three teams in the relegation dogfight. They beat West Ham, they have Bournemouth next, and then on Saturday play at Aston Villa. Ooh, 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 ooh. wait, wait, wait. You're beating me to my next hot take, my, okay. my next lukewarm hot ooh. take. You ready? Okay. Yes. The biggest threat to Chelsea, Wolves. Another take that I think I agree with. Now, I really liked when Paul Pogba came on for Manchester United, how they looked, and I like Bruno Fernandes. I think they're starting to put things together at Manchester United. It wasn't perfect the whole game, and Roy Keane ripped them a new one at halftime, and that clip going viral was hilarious, but I, in general, like the look of Manchester United with their full complement of players, Rashford and Fernandes and Martial and Pogba. I just think it looks better than it has in previous times, but Wolves, without Europa League have eight games left. They've got a pretty easy fixture list, at least in the near term, to really stay in it. And they've always been the team that, of the non-so-called big six, carry the most threat. And you don't want to come against them because they're solid defensively. They've got players like Adama Traore and Raul Jimenez who are playing really well. They've got everything you'd want out of a team that's going to compete at this end of the Premier League. Yeah, to echo your sentiments on my original lukewarm hot take, Adama Traore, I saw this take on Twitter. He is a big six player. Jimenez, Neto, as we saw with one of the goals of the year. This is a brilliant Wolves team. I love their style of play. You know me. You know I like that uh, drag you in the mud counterattack. But they have skill. Yeah. Legitimate skill. They're not getting some ugly goals over there at Woods. They'll do that occasionally. Raul Jimenez can bang in some ugly ones. But there is some real legitimate talent. All right, final lukewarm hot take. Okay. Premier League Manager of the Year, colon, Roy Hodgson. Wow. I, that's a bull one. Now, Roy Hodgson... Let his hair go during, <laughs> during this quarantine. Are there any other hairstyles that jumped out to you? For me, yeah. Joe, like Joe Gomez looking like a 70s disco era singer. That was very interesting to, uh, to me for Liverpool. Roy Hodgson letting his hair go. Were there any others that stuck out to you? Andros Townsend. Yes. Uh, at Crystal yes. Palace looking like he's been, like he sucked his finger in an electrical outlet. <laughs> uh, David Luiz, honestly, I know it was raining out there, but he yes. may be joining Team Come On Home real soon. <laughs> Some of the referees, Mike Dean coming back with a beard. That was amazing. Like, there, there's a few others. Like, they've got some problems with the balding. Maybe the hair color has gone. Michael Oliver clearly has not had a neck shave in three months. There's a there's a few that stuck out as well. And if we if we look at the champ, uh, a Chelsea rival, Mitro looking oh, nothing like goodness. himself. What is it? Uh, Mitro with, like, the generic 1997 Madden <laughs> create a player haircut. <laughs> Yeah, when he's, he always goes for the close shave. But to get back to your original lukewarm hot take, uh, yeah, Crystal Palace are a team that, look, it, it, it's incredible. You look at the league table. Scored 28, conceded 32 from 30 games. He's not trying to, you know, fancy it up for a 70-plus-year-old. He's still out there doing Roy Hodgson things, and he always seems to get teams like Palace, like West Brom, to overachieve, even if he can't necessarily get England or Liverpool to achieve to their status when he's managing them. I think the window is closed now that uh, Chelsea are linked to the players that they're linked for Zaha to join a bigger club and be the man. And maybe Jack Grealish is looking at his future when he looks at Willie Zaha. And you know what? 
it's not so bad. Wilfred Zaha's had a nice little career. I think Jack Grealish might benefit from being the big fish in the tiny pond. And things are working out. Zaha is, good, is a club legend over there already. The only thing that I wouldn't like about it is that if Wilfred Zaha played for Chelsea or Jack Grealish played for Chelsea, they would not get kicked as much as they do. <laughs> it is very obvious that those two guys are the targets of opposition defenses because they're clearly the best guys out there and they just get absolutely destroyed week in week out for those two guys would be like maybe for the sake of my shins i'm gonna go move somewhere else yeah well jack Grealish could actually use some proper shin guards then in that <laughs> regard too if he's gonna get kicked that much i think that's yeah. honestly what they did you could tell lamps just brought out the overhead projector and just put a picture of his lower half and said <laughs> he's not wearing shin guards get after him and Conte is like aye aye so that'll do it for us on this early episode of Chelsea Mic'd Up, We're ramping up our output here because Chelsea R2, we're going to pull that rope as well, give you more Chelsea Mic'd Up content. This was a reaction episode. We'll get into a preview of the matches in an episode later this week, and we'll talk to Millie Bright, as I told you earlier in the episode. We're really excited to be doing this for you because... I obviously love Chelsea Football Club, and Chris Whittingham is as big a soccer dork there is. Let's let's be <laughs> honest. So this is like he he's probably doing private podcasts that aren't making it to air right now. You you yes or no? You do Bournemouth Bournemouth Chris up. I know it. One hundred percent. Me, yeah. I, I'm bre- breaking the cherries down. I'm devastated about their two 0 defeat to Palace. All right, so we'll be back at you in just a couple of days. Till then, up the Chelsea. 